Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning. I'm Ines, and it's such a pleasure to be with you today. If you have been coming to the chapel over the last few weeks, we have been on this journey of remembering what each of the stations here at the chapel represent, and it's all intended for us to draw closer to God. And so today we continue with that journey. Today we're going to highlight the table of communion. And so, and it's important because communion is one of those things that we do over and over. If you have uh, been a believer for a long time, if you have been coming to the chapel, we do this every Sunday, and there's a danger that we could take it for granted. There's a danger that we might miss the meaning. And so that's why we want to really take some time today and really understand the meaning. Now, I grew up in the Catholic church, and so I went to church every Sunday with my grandma. And communion was a big deal. I mean, I could sense it. We had to confess before we went. We had to stand in line. We had to stick our tongue out because, it, you know, communion was so precious, you couldn't even touch it yourself. And I knew this was important, but I really didn't get it, really. And then as I uh, became older and I actually stopped going to church, once in a while I would decide, I'm just going to go to church, and I'd visit a Catholic church. And again, I would feel a sense of the importance of communion. I would even leave the church feeling a sense of being filled with just God's presence and you know, felt fed, uh, but I still didn't know what I was doing. And then I came to Mariners, and I became a believer and, of course, part of this community, and something changed. Communion was different. You know, we, we do it differently than the way the Catholic Church did it. And so because I didn't understand the meaning, it felt somewhat empty to me because I was expecting it to be something else. So I don't know what your experience with communion is. Some of you probably totally get it, and today it's just going to be an affirmation and an encouragement. Some of you probably like me needed to understand what it meant so that no matter how you experience it, whether it's in that very formal way or coming to the table with a little cup that comes around, you know, however you experience it, the meaning of the event is what you really attach to. And we're going to really spend some time on that today. And as you know, today is Palm Sunday. We celebrate Jesus coming into Jerusalem and making a statement about who he is. And so what I want us to do today as we consider communion is to do two things. To remember who Jesus is and remember what he did. I believe that's really what communion is all about. And it's beautiful that we're doing this on a Palm Sunday because that day when Jesus came into Jerusalem, he was making a statement about who he is. And so we're going to learn some things from that. And then we're going to talk about what he did and why that matters to us. And now as I go through this, I want you to be listening to what it is that you came in here needing today. What do you need communion to do for you today? It does have a purpose. It was instituted by Jesus himself. He believed it was important for all of us to do it. And so there is something you're coming in today that you need. And as I go through these points, I hope that you will pick one or two, because later we're going to have an opportunity to reflect on that. So think about what you need. So let's go back to the Palm Sunday. See, Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week. 
So it starts today and it ends with a Saturday, Holy Saturday, and of course then we have Easter. And what it represents was Jesus, having finished his ministry, having done miracles, made himself known, he comes into Jerusalem knowing that his fame was such that he was going to be noticed by people and that that was going to lead to his death. He knew. He was in full control of what was happening. And so he enters into Jerusalem and people are excited about him coming and they rail him as a king. And they start to yell out things that really you would only yell out to a king. Hosanna, which we yelled at earlier. Hosanna means help, save us. It's, a, it's an outrageous thing to say to someone who's not a king. And so they immediately recognize him as a king. But he's not the king they expected. See, this was the day of Passover, the week we begin the Passover celebration. One of three festivals instituted by God where people were required to come back to Jerusalem and celebrate this event. This was such an important event that there would be thousands of people in Jerusalem and this little town would just swell with people, with animals. Animals because they were coming to offer sacrifices for their sin. That's the whole purpose of Passover. They would be remembering back at a time when Israel was held captive under the power of Egypt and the Pharaoh refused to let God's people go. And God had to do some pretty horrible things to Egypt and the people of Egypt to have Pharaoh finally let go of the people of Israel to release them. And the last thing that he does after several pretty devastating miracles is that he tells the people of Israel, go and select a lamb, a pure lamb. Kill it. Take the blood and put it along your doorpost. Eat it. And then stay in your homes because the spirit of death is going to come through the city. Those of you who have the blood marked on your door, the spirit of death will pass over. Those who do not, their first male son were to die. You could imagine the wailing of that night. While at the same time, those who were saved were celebrating victory. And so the people of Israel remember that day when God did something miraculous. The last ditch result resort to get Pharaoh to let the people free. And so they are now released from bondage and they are free. And God says, celebrate this day year in and year out because you could not save yourself. I had to do that. So Jesus comes into the city to this time where people are celebrating that day. And they have been expecting all along this king that would come and save them. They had been held captive yet again by the Roman Empire. And so they were hoping that this king would come and be a victorious, political, warring king and stop the power of the Romans and reestablish Israel as a nation. So here comes Jesus. They think that's who he is. They're yelling Hosanna. They're throwing palms at his feet. They're putting their coats on the ground, treating him like a king. All of those are very symbolic. The palms representing royalty, the coats removing them and putting them on the ground. It, it's an act of saying, God, my property belongs to you. This king, you are so powerful. I'm giving everything that I have to you. In the first century, fabric was precious. It's not like people had closets full of jackets. They would have maybe one. And it would be very important to them, their cloak. But they took them off. They put them on the donkey. They put them on the ground for Jesus to walk as a king. But he didn't come the way a king would normally come, who came to be victorious and warring. And with the energy of everything that was going on, they were doing all these things, but they weren't getting the message that Jesus was sending. 
a king who was warring would come in on a white horse with a lot of pompous and fair and all kinds of noise. And what they would be saying is, I come to rule, possibly with an iron fist. I come to conquer. But Jesus comes in a colt, which is a baby donkey, one that had never been ridden before. And he comes in, and that represented someone who came in peace, who came to bring prosperity, who came to save. And so although they were excited that he was coming, I could imagine they're yelling Hosanna and having all that. But then as he's walking, I'm going, wait, but he's on a donkey. Why is he on a donkey? And pretty soon they start to realize, wait, maybe we don't understand this king. Maybe we don't understand this Jesus. And that's why I believe this is so important for us today. Because a lot of times we put expectations of Jesus that are incorrect. We start to believe in a Jesus that we create. We kind of make him into our own image. We chip away anything that bothers us and kind of make a a Jesus that we feel comfortable with. And what this process of taking communion does, what Jesus did when he came into the city is saying, no, I am who I am. You must accept me for who I am because I come to do something you desperately need. You don't know it, but you need it. And see, the people, within just a matter of days, they reject Jesus. I remember when I was young, I thought, how did it happen? You know, on Sunday, everyone's all excited that Jesus comes in, and four days later, they're yelling, crucify him. And to me, I felt like that was a very bipolar kind of thing going on. But I get it now. Very quickly, they realized he came into the city, and he came in to do something very different than what they expected. And so it's important for us today to get a grasp of who Jesus really is and not the Jesus that we're making up so that we do not take communion for granted and we don't miss him in the process of this ritual. See, the people misunderstood him. He was a conqueror, yes, but not a conqueror the way they expected him. And what was the response of Jesus when he gets rejected by his own people? This mighty king who is stronger than any army in Judea, stronger than the entire Roman Empire, stronger than any power in the world, all the way to the heavens. What is his reaction? It wasn't criticism. It wasn't judgment. It wasn't, okay, I'll zap you. He wept, we're told in Luke. Jesus wept for Jerusalem. He says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I could gather you like a hen gathers their chicks. He weeps for us. Jesus weeps for you and I. When we mistake who he is, when we put expectations on him that are inappropriate, when we mold him into our image, he weeps for you and I because that action that we do leads to our own destruction. And I know I know I know it. I've seen myself do it in my life. And I'm thinking you do too. And so Jesus weeps rather than judge and criticize. And the thing is that you when you come to communion, it's very easy for us to say, well, I know Jesus. I know what I'm coming to do. But it's probably good for us to be reminded today out of his own lips, out of his own words, who he is. And I could open a Bible here and spend an hour going through passages of here's how, who Jesus is out of his words. But today I've chosen John 6. Why John 6? Because Jesus himself describes who he is, and he uses words that are connected to the communion. He uses words of the bread and the life. And so let's, let's start with the first one. In John chapter 6, verse 27. 
Jesus is spiritual food. Look what it says. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Jesus is spiritual food for you and I. Now, if you've gone through Lent and you've given something up, you know how important food is or whatever it is that you gave, how much you liked it and how much you wanted it in your life. And if, if you gave up food, you know how difficult that is. Spiritual food is like that. We actually need it desperately. And when we don't feel that in our hearts, when we don't come to God for that, we feel that void and we're trying to fill it with whatever you have. I remember I was, um, I did a fast one time, a 40 day modified fast. And on one of the Saturdays was like a full day fast. And I was pretty hungry by then. And my husband said, and I was trying not to tell anybody about it. You know, that's kind of what you're supposed to do. So my husband said, let's go to Costco. And we go into Costco. Come on. I mean, the food there. You go there hungry one day. Watch how much your bill quadruples. You know, if you've already done that. It goes from, you know, what is it? It used to be Costco. You spent $100 at least. Now, you know, go hungry. And it's thousands. There's so much food there. And I really sense how much I like and need food. We need spiritual food. And that spiritual food comes from God himself. He is the source of life. Look what he says in John 6, 35. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirsty. Jesus is talking back at, again at the people of Israel walking around in the desert for 40 years. No water, no food, were it not for God providing it. He provides manna from heaven so that these people could live. Jesus says, I am now that manna. I am now that bread that comes from heaven to feed you because you need this. It's what brings you life. Jesus is the source of life for each and every one of us. We know this passage is a famous passage, John 3, 16. This is what Jesus came to do to secure our identity. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Jesus is our eternity secure. That's who he is. And it goes on in John 6, 40. It says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. Now, this is a passage we should pause for a minute because it's easy to read it this way. For it's my father's will that everyone is saved. Everyone is given eternal life. But that's not what it says. Not everyone. The one who looks to the son and who believes in him, that one, those shall have eternal life. Yes, Jesus wants everyone to be saved, but not all of them will look to him. Not all of us will believe. So those who believe and look to him, to them, he is the source of eternity. And then he is the only way we can have fellowship with God. Look what he says in 646 in John. No one has seen the father except the one who is God from God. And he has seen the father. He is our only way to the father. 
We have all kinds of religions claiming this, but really only Jesus is bold enough to say, I am the way. And that rubs some people wrong, right? It's a very startling statement to say, you want to meet God, you have to do it through me. He is Christ the King. And he doesn't fit whatever our image might be, but he is who he is. And we we have to be careful not to start to mold him. Which is why, again, I say this is why the sacrament is so important. So, so far, I'm hoping that maybe some of you today, some of you just need to be reminded of who he is, that he is the only way, that he is your spiritual food, that he is your source of life, eternal life, and he brings you in communion with the Father. The other thing that our communion does, he reminds us of what he came to do. Paul tells us that only in Jesus is it that we find forgiveness for our sins. Now, some of us need the word of God to convict us of our sins because we may be going around thinking that we're a pretty good person. I did that for many years. I thought, I'm pretty good. I don't, you know, I'm not so bad. God, if God's good, he'll forgive the few things that I do wrong. But when we read the word of God, when I read the word of God, I realized, no, this is a tall order. We have a perfect, good, loving, faithful God. In comparison to meet him, I'm not good, not even close. Some of us, on the other hand, have done so many things. You have a U-Haul truck of things in your life. You know you're not good. You think you're not good enough even to be around him. Neither way is good because what we have to remember, what Paul tells us, is he came to forgive us of our sins, those who are cognizant enough and those that were not. He gave his body for you. By taking the bread, we remember that he was—he came in a body, a human like you and I, fully human, fully God. By shedding his blood, he shows that he, his blood meant that he could die. But then in Easter, we, we remember that he was raised again by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, we celebrate a victory at this table. Sometimes we come to the communion table, kind of like, you know, coming to the table. But the reality is there's a victory celebrated here, a victory against the evils of the world. The evils of our heart has been won at this table. And the best thing I can think of to kind of help us put our minds in the right context is the 4th of July. When we come to the table of communion, we reenact what Jesus did on the cross for us. We celebrate the 4th of July by kind of remembering the victory that was won for independence of our country, right? And we put out the flags and we put, get, cook the hot dogs and we get, you know, out there on the bikes and having a really fun day. It's a celebration. This is a table of victory just like that, better than that. And here we can come to the table in celebration of what he has done for us. We can come with joy and thanksgiving, not just maybe it's good sometimes to come solemnly, but some of us need to come here and celebrate what he's done. You might be one today that that's what you needed to be reminded today, to celebrate what he has done for you. Luke 22 tells us out of Jesus' own words that he wants us to remember communion and do it on a regular basis. Look what he says. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus is talking about a covenant. In the Old Testament, the covenant was this idea of having to do the sacrifices over and over again. Jesus is saying, 
I have come, I have sacrificed for once for the forgiveness of sin. It is done. There is a new covenant now. My blood, my body broken for you. You see, baptism, which is another sacrament we celebrate here, we do once. But communion, we do it more than once. We need to be reminded of who Jesus is and we need to be reminded of what he did. And there's been church splits over this, guys. There's been church, this has been, if you look at church history, the communion has been the very thing that has confused people. What this actually happens at the table of communion? Why did Jesus believe we needed to do this on a regular basis? Some have said, well, it's because his actual body and his actual blood is somehow made into the elements when they're prayed over. Some people say, well, no, it's a symbol of his work. Some people say, well, no, it's just a way to remember what he did. I don't know. I don't know which is the best one. The reality is, I don't think anyone really could know what Jesus is saying happens at this table. But I do know this. I know that wherever any of those are, when we come to the table, when we remember who he is, when we remember what he did for us, something very powerful happens in us. And if if you're one of those people who loves communion, you know it. If you have taken it for granted and you felt it like an empty ritual, I hope today you rediscover it. Because he believed this was important to us. He believed, he said, I would be present through this. And we get to reenact it for that purpose. And so today, I'm going to give you real quickly several things that I know from my own study that we can get from communion. The first thing is we know we can feel his presence and be united with him. Jesus says, remain in me and I shall remain in you. Remain faithful to me. So when we come to the table, I know that we can immediately feel that presence of the Lord with us here. So we get closer to him. We get closer to each other. Look, we're all here in community. When we do communion, we do it in community. Last night, I had a whole group of people at our house. It was very fun. We had this meal, and we laughed, and just had a great conversation. When we have meals together with with others, we get connected to each other, don't we? And this is a meal that we get to share with each other. So we get connected to Jesus. We get connected to each other. And then we are reminded that the story doesn't end here. That Jesus promised he would come again. And we get a picture of what's to come. Even when he instituted the Lord's Supper, he says, I will not drink from this cup again until I am with you on that day when he returns. So we here we get to have hope. We live between two days. We live between the day that Jesus died and was resurrected in Easter and promised to return. And we're waiting for the day when he does return and he makes everything right. In between, it's a difficult process, isn't it? Living between these two, the here and not yet, means that we get to see things that are happening that are not good, that are evil, that are painful. We suffer. We might, we might feel there's a tremendous amount of injustice. And we're wondering, Jesus, when are you coming back? We're in between those two days. But when we come to the Lord's Supper, we are reminded again, he will come back. It is a promise that we get to celebrate every time we come to communion. And so today, as we reflect on this message, I'm going to give you a minute or so to think about what it is that you need from communion today. We're just going to be in silence together in community. 
just between you and God, ask him. I'll give you a quick story to put this in context for you. A guy and a girl are dating and they go by a river to have a date. He says to her, I love you. She goes, I know. No, no, no. I love you. I know. No, you don't understand. I really, really love you. And he throws himself in the river. He doesn't know how to swim. He drowns and dies. Does she feel loved? No. She felt abandoned. Some of us, that's our picture of Jesus. He loves me. He died. He's gone. And I'm dealt with life. And I'm just waiting for him to come back. She probably thinks this guy's a jerk. But think of it this way. Girl and boy are standing by the river. And he says, I love you. And she says, I know. He goes, really? I love you. I know, I know. But I love you. I know, I know. And she slips and she falls in the river. And she can't swim and she starts to drown. He jumps in the river to save her. And he drowns while he saves her. Does she feel loved? What is she willing to do for him now? Understanding he gave his life to save her. That's what Jesus did for us. Maybe today we just need to be reminded of that truth. To recalibrate in our mind who he is and what he came to do for every single one of us. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and his work together. Thanks again.